Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Stephanie Wilder-Taylor is the author of Drunk-ish, a memoir of loving and leaving alcohol. This is a particularly meaningful podcast for me because I read all of Stephanie Wilder Taylor's books in the throes of new motherhood. I clung to every word. She was like a guiding light for me, not that she ever knew that. 
when I was just struggling and trying to get through and feeling like I was losing myself. And here was this funny, awesome woman telling it like it was. And I completely appreciated that. Then I met her when she moderated Laura Cathcart Robbins's event at Zibby's Bookshop about Stash, her book. And I was like, oh my gosh, Stephanie, I love your books. And she said, well, I actually have a new book coming out. And I said, when it comes out, you have to come on my podcast. And so she sent it to me in PDF, which was really exciting. And I read it and it's fabulous. And this is the perfect book for now. And it's it has her sense of humor and all of the good things. And I'm just a huge fan. Anyway, Stephanie Wilder-Taylor is an author, TV personality, and co-host of the popular podcast for Crying Out Loud. She co-created and hosted the late-night comedy parenting show Parental Discretion with Stephanie Wilder-Taylor for Nick Mom on Nickelodeon. She's the author of Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay, Naptime is the New Happy Hour, It's Not Me, It's You, I'm Kind of a Big Deal, and Gummy Bears Should Not Be Organic. She has appeared on Good Morning America, 2020, The Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Phil, Larry King Live, and Today. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, her three delightful teenagers, and her dog, Penelope. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss drunkish, loving, and leaving alcohol. Thank you so much, Zibby. Thank you for having me. I think this is such an important podcast. It's aimed at moms, which is my favorite target audience. (laughs) So I have to say, and I already said this in the intro I recorded for your episode, but I, and I told you this as I like accosted you at my bookstore, but I have been reading your books forever and they have been such, you know, guiding lights for me as I've gone through motherhood myself with four kids. And I actually found not one, but two copies of Zippy Cups are not for Chardonnay in my library here because I try to save most of my books. And I also have nap time is the new happy hour. And you're the one. Gummy bears should not be organic, but I guess I missed two. They came out after that because I don't know. I guess I got too busy or something. <laughs> they were, those the other two books are out of the parenting genre. So, uh, so maybe that's which why was misleading to people. They were books that they were memoirs about my twenties, and not the the twenties, but my twenties. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think people got confused, and they were like, "Wait, this doesn't have anything to do with parenting." He <laughs> went out of uh, out of your normal line. I don't know. You're like Adam Sandler doing a drama or something. Yes, that's what I feel like. Yeah, <laughs> people were just like, uh, I don't know what this is, but I'll pass. Well, Drunkish was so good. And you, the way you write and the openness with which you write and your sense of humor, I just, I like gobble it all up, really, <laughs> which is fitting to have like an olive on the cover, I guess. Although I don't really like olives, but if I did, it would be fitting. I don't either. (laughs) I don't either. And true story, I've never ever had a martini. Well, I haven't had a, like a a regular martini. Wow. I have had flavored martinis. Where's the wine glass? I know. Well, (laughs) it's a cool cover though. They were being creative. I, I like it. It's a great cover. It's a very cool cover. Yeah. In fact, my husband likes martinis, so maybe I could just leave this next to his <laughs> bedside or something. <laughs> He'd probably enjoy it, although it's kind of counter to the message of the book, which mm-hmm. is, of course, so why don't you tell listeners about about Drunkish and what it's about, why you decided to write it, and you know, we can dive into what's inside. Sure. Well, 14 years ago, I made a big decision to quit drinking. 14, it'll be 15 in May. And... Prior to that, as you know, I'd written quite a few books and been a person who loved the whole mommy wine culture. It's not that I 
thought that I was, I didn't, it's not that I was being fake. I really was thinking that it's a great thing that moms have a way to sort of like blow off steam and bond with each other. And I thought the whole kind of wine culture was fun. I really did. I thought, and I stuck up for it in the way of, you know, I don't think moms need any more judgment. So if a mom is having a glass of wine and and having a play date with their kids, like why is that a bad thing? You know, dads can have a, a beer and watch the game and nobody thinks, nobody goes, why aren't your kids in the house? But s- somehow it seemed a way to judge moms. And I didn't like that. My whole first book was really railing against the judgment of moms, especially considering the fact that when I had a baby, I felt anxious and scared and alone and um, inexperienced and all the all the insecurity and kind of the the I started blogging and a lot of the blogging culture was around drinking like we all thought that was really funny including me I say we I thought it was hilarious the first time I wrote a blog post I was a couple of glasses of wine in when I started my blog my baby was only a couple months old and I also have a stand-up comedy background. So a lot of it was exaggerated. You know, I was being funny. I wasn't really drinking alcoholically at that time. I didn't, I didn't feel I was. But, you know, come to find out that all that anxiety and all that insecurity and all of that loneliness and isolation was kind of a perfect storm. And my drinking did, I did start drinking a lot. And I did start questioning my drinking. And then when my daughter was about two, I decided to quit drinking. But it didn't stick because I ended up... I was I was totally sober. But like six weeks later, I found out I was having twins. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I didn't drink through that whole pregnancy. I stayed sober. And then when I had my twins, I really and truly felt like, oh, I obviously don't have a problem because now I've gone all these months without drinking. It wasn't hard. I didn't have any problem doing it. But this is a weird thing that a lot of women, especially women that drink a lot, and then they worry about how am I going to stay sober during my pregnancy? A lot of women have no problem with it because all these hormones that go through our system can sometimes make women feel actually calm and it's tricky because then you're not drinking and you're pregnant and you're like, oh, look at me, not drinking, nothing to see here. Don't worry about me. And then <laughs> you go back to drinking with a vengeance because now the hormones all drop out. You feel like shit. You're you know, back to how you were before, but worse. And then you're like, well, thank God I can drink. And that's how I was. And then because I do believe now that I have alcoholic tendencies and I have I mean, we can call it a substance use disorder. We can call it whatever we want, but alcohol has always been a way that I solve problems. And that, so it got bad pretty quickly. And then I got sober when my twins were 18 months old and that was it. And I decided that because I, every time I talk about addiction on my podcast for crying out loud, which has basically raised my kids on that podcast, and people always seem to respond when I would talk openly about my issues with alcohol and my issues with all addiction. And because it would get so much response, I sort of felt like after a certain amount of time, I hadn't really talked about it. I obviously hadn't written a book about it. 
But I'd been really honest on TV and in articles that I wrote. So I thought like, why not tell that story? I, I didn't feel like I had a different story. I felt like that story needed to come out of me. Wow. And I'm, uh, I have a stand-up background and I'm a humor writer. So I wanted to see if I could write a book about getting sober in a similar vein to Sippy Cups or Not for Chardonnay talked about being a mom. You know what I mean? Like a really honest book. I've Most of the memoirs about addiction that I've read are, are really sad and you know, people have kind of low bottoms and I could be going on and on right now. I hope I've, I've veered into what's in the book. This is great. I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just like watching your stand-up show from home. It's, it's wonderful. Like a live stream or something. It's great. <laughs> no, I, uh, you do write with the same voice because it's your voice and it's, it's wonderful and funny and relatable. I mean, you say these you, you have these like throwaway lines and I don't know, it's just, I don't, you have one part about like when you did get sober, how all of a sudden you didn't want to have sex with your husband anymore. Mm-hmm. Like like what happens after your, how, when you were younger and like your breast reduction surgery, you didn't care. But then when you were nursing, like all of a sudden it's like an issue and you had to deal with that. Like all these things, they could easily remain private, but when you bring them to light, it makes people chuckle, whether it's happened to them or not, or some piece of it or whatever. Well, you know, you're a writer, so I think you know this. And I also teach teach writing. And one of the things that I say to my students when they're when we're talking about writing about yourself and memoir writing is that if you aren't feeling a bit uncomfortable with the things that you're revealing, you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. Because I don't read people's memoirs, you know, to read their public thoughts. I read somebody's memoir to hear what they're really and truly thinking inside. And I want to be a voyeur and I want to hear those things. And that makes me feel closer to the person. And that makes me feel... I want people to feel like, oh, I want to be her friend because she keeps it real. Yes. And so a lot of those things, it's it's not that easy to be that honest, but that's how I know that I'm doing it right is when I feel that icky feeling like, oh, should I really be saying this? <laughs> Do people really want to hear like this? This is scary to feel that exposed. It's true. <laughs> but but that's kind of the point of it. Sometimes though, it's easier to have strangers read it than people you know a little bit. <laughs> Do you feel like that? Oh yeah. My husband hasn't read the whole book and believe me, I'm not. I read him out loud when I was working on it. I would read him parts of it. He doesn't know half the stuff I said about him at this point because... Oh, no. I mean, there was one thing I kind of had to tell him because it happens early on, which I'll I'll remind you about. But but like when we were dating, so this was one of those things that when I wrote it, I was like, oh my god. But sometimes I would get drunk on a date when back when we were single and hadn't been together that long, and I once, you know, you know where I'm I know going. I know what you're gonna say. Yeah, I fell asleep mid blowjob. <laughs> You had a funny term for it though. Yes, we called it a cock nap. Yes. <laughs> Which he said, he's like, oh, I didn't remember the next day. He's like, yeah, you took a cock nap. <laughs> Which I was humiliated briefly, but it was so funny that he said that. And then that became kind of a running joke of ours. But of course, years and years later, I'm writing the book. It's like that comes back with a cringe factor. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> but I thought... You know, it's the truth. I'm going to put it in there. But I had to I, I had to tell him it was in there because like I was thinking about his sister 
reading it. My sister-in-law. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, maybe you should know this is in there. And he was like, it is. I said, sorry. Yeah. It's like, do do you tell him while it's, when it's already like at the printer or when he can do something about it? Yeah. Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, he also, you know, plays into your moment where you were like, this is not your, this is hitting bottom or I don't know what you want to call it, but the moment where you really decided to change your ways and that you felt you had put your kids in danger. And like, that was like the final straw for you. Do you want to talk about that moment? Sure. Well, prior to this, I don't think that, and, and this is one of the reasons I wrote the book. I don't think that my bottom looks like a lot of people's looks like you would imagine. You know, I wasn't drinking in the morning. I wasn't sneaking drinks in the shower. I wasn't hiding from my husband. I was drinking in my mind, in my the way I rationalized it, even even though I would have wine like before my husband got home from work, you know, and then when he got home, I'd be like, oh, let's open a bottle of wine. There were those things. I'm not trying to make myself sound like, what? I had two glasses of wine a night. I was drinking problem drinking. But most of it, my husband was aware of. And I think he thought I was just very stressed out. I mean, I had, you know, baby twins and basically like a very young child. You know, my older daughter was, let's, when all this happened, she was four and they were 18 months. So she was four and a half. Yeah. They were 18 months. So my husband made a lot of excuses for me as well. But one of the things that I think really bothered him was, and this had happened earlier before the kids came along. You know, I would go go out. Let's say as a stand-up comic, I'd go to the improv. I'd have some drinks. I would drive home. And my husband would always be like, are you okay to drive? Like, are you sure? And the thing about me and my drinking is I always felt fine to drive. It's like a thing that my chemistry, you know, some people can smoke pot and feel fine to drive. If I had one hit of pot, I'd be like, I can't drive. Like, I, <laughs> but alcohol made me one of the, I was one of those cliches where I was like, I, I'm a better driver after I've had a couple of drinks. I'm more relaxed. <laughs> it all seems a little bit funny now. It obviously wasn't funny. But the thing was, my husband didn't like it when I would sort of like disappear at night when I would drink and then not respond to his phone calls or texts. And so on this occasion, I had taken two of my kids with me to this, to like a play date at a woman's house who had kids and a nanny watching the kids. And it was like a nice evening. And we were, she was serving drinks. It was kind of a drinking crowd, for lack of a better word. Everybody was kind of having some drinks. But in my mind at that time, the way I saw other people's drinking was like, oh, everybody drinks this much. Now I can tell you, that even my mom friends that are like act like they love to drink will usually have a glass of wine and be like, I'm good. I just wasn't seeing it that way at the time. So anyway, I had some drinks and then I had some more drinks and then I was feeling really good. And what tends to happen with me is if I've had a couple of drinks and I'm feeling relaxed and happy and like all is right with the world, I want to keep that going. I want to keep that feeling going. And it's very selfish. And I, I, I stopped being aware of what the amount is that I've had and what the rules are about drinking. And I feel like I want to feel this way and I 
need one more drink to feel this way and it can't, I'm not hurting anybody. And I made, my husband had been trying to call me and I was resentful because I was like, why is he trying to call me? He had, he was home with one of my twins and I was with my other twin and the older one. And I was thinking, this guy's on like a freaking Hawaiian vacation right now with one baby. I've got two of them with me. Like, stop calling me. That was my attitude. Why are you bothering me? Eventually, he called my friend who I was with and was like, what is going on? Where is Stephanie? Why isn't she answering my call? So she told me, hey, John's trying to get a hold of you. All I remember really is being like, fine. It's, I guess it's time to go. Put the kids in the car. I drove home. I did not crash the car. I did not. Nothing happened. But when I got home, my husband was in the driveway waiting for me and he was furious. And he knew that I was drunk. He told me, he basically confronted me right there and he said, you're drunk. And I was genuinely mad, appalled, but like, how dare you? I can't believe you're accusing me of this. What kind of a person do you think I am? And I went in the house and I don't, I, I slept on the couch, fully dressed. I woke up the next day and I, it just hit me. I was like, oh my God, I was, had a brutal hangover. It was so obvious that I had been drunk and I remembered him being mad at me and I knew I was on the couch. I knew we were like in a fight and it just, I just woke up. I just woke up to the idea that like, I'm, I would have judged the crap out of another mom. If I heard that story and I knew that a mom drove home, like even in that situation, if I'd heard another mom was at that gathering and drove her kids home practically in a blackout and her husband, I'd be like, wow, that woman has a problem. But all of a sudden it was me and I couldn't escape the idea that like, no, I did that. I did this thing that I would never this made this decision that I would never make. I would never make a decision sober that would put my kids in danger. Never. That's not the kind of parent I am. I think I was an overly conscientious parent. You know, I may let my kids eat a gumball off the floor of the mall, but I'm not going to actually put their lives in danger. And I actually had to go convince my husband that I had a problem because I just knew that my husband is very forgiving. He's very easygoing. I knew he was mad, but I knew that if I told him, my husband doesn't think I'm a bad person. And he didn't think that I had a drinking problem. That's the thing. We didn't get in fights about my drinking ever. Like it wasn't a thing. My husband has never one time said like, I think you drink too much. Like it was just, my husband always made excuses for me. Like, well, it's hard for you to gauge how much you've had to drink. It's hard if, if if we're at a party and you have a wine glass and people keep pouring you more wine, it's hard for you to tell. So we would do these little games where he'd say like, I'll let you know if you're starting to seem tipsy, you know? But then we'd go to do that and I'd be like, stop trying to police my drinking. <laughs> so he'd leave me alone, you know? So when I went to him that morning... I knew that I could convince him that I didn't have a problem and he would forgive me and I could say, I'm going to be so careful from now on. But I knew I knew that if I'd done this, it could happen again because I didn't think I would do that. Do you know what I mean? I didn't... The sober me wouldn't have done that. So I knew without a doubt in my mind that when I drink, I don't know how much I've had. I'm unpredictable. So if I'm unpredictable 
then that follows that I shouldn't drink because I'm not safe drinking. And that knowledge made me go, well, if that's the case, then really... no. And I've tried many times to cut down. If you read the book, toward that happening, I'd really been trying to manage and control my drinking and it was not working. So I had decided, I'm just going to drink every single day, every night, but only have a couple glasses and I'm just never going to drive. And then I drove. So I just was like, I have to do whatever it takes to just not drink again. But I did not think at that time that it would could be classified as alcoholism. All I knew was I don't want to drink anymore. Huh. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you say it, though, I mean, and when you say even what you said earlier about the hormones and pregnancy and everything— do you look back ever, and I don't want to minimize alcoholism or any of it or whatever it is, right? There's so many factors at work. But I feel like, and for the mom culture in general, and flashing back to, you know, my own habits, particularly when my twins were young as well, you know, it's so stressful and there's so little, there are so few breaks when, because it's nonstop that a, a glass of wine is something that can like take you out of it a little bit. So it's almost like medication in a way. So I'm I'm wondering Absolutely. after the, like maybe when you don't, well, I don't know. What did you, what happened then? Like, did you feel like you needed a different type of medication afterwards? Well, and I just want to go back to something that you just said that I think is really important. And it's not that I, I think that many moms misuse alcohol when their kids are young and may notice themselves drinking more or using it to self-medicate. Like you said, a lot of times people, once you have a baby, your anxiety goes through the roof. I mean, and let's face it, a lot of moms are the default parent and feel, you know, I wrote about this feeling in Sippy Cups where it was like, we are aware of where the kids are at all times. Mm -hmm. And I used to get 
furious that my husband like would, let's say we're sitting on the couch and we've got the the baby and, you know, my I was so annoyed at the idea that my husband could just get up off the couch and like, go take a shower. Oh, must be nice. You can just go take a shower. Like this, the, the planning that goes into taking a shower when yeah. you have like a newborn baby, you can't just take a shower. You have to like put the car seat right next to the shower so that like... <laughs> I mean, wait till they're asleep. But then even if they're asleep, you have to bring the freaking monitor in with you. And husbands just, they just don't have that or really understand that unless they're a single dad of a newborn, which you don't hear about that much. But I can imagine that, you know? So my point is, I think that a lot of people use alcohol. Why? Because it works. It does make you feel relaxed. It does decrease your anxiety at first. If you're drinking too much, it can also have a rebound effect and make you more anxious. And it's alcohol is a depressant, right? But we don't necessarily realize that. But my point here is that that doesn't mean that all moms become alcoholics either. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of other factors, you know? So for me, I turned to drinking, but I'd always use something. Mm -hmm. So I could look back you know, once I once I'd been sober for a while and I could really start going through looking at my life and get out of that denial of like this came out of nowhere. How did I just suddenly become somebody who can't know? It's like I'd been drinking since I was 14. I'd regularly had blackouts. I just started looking at my drinking more honestly. And my biological father was a pill addict. He was an addict most of his life. But I always separated that from me. He didn't even raise me. I I didn't see a lot of the genetic component, the childhood chaos, the doing stand-up comedy and always drinking before. I'd always used alcohol. For a lot of women, I think if they have certain factors from their childhood in their genetic makeup, it can wake up that sort of alcoholic tendency in them. But for other people, they can go through a little period of using alcohol too much and then go, you know what? This isn't healthy. I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to get into wellness. I'm going to, I'm not going to do that. And they're able to not do that. So I don't want anybody to hear this as like some indictment of like moms and drinking. And like, we're all human. We all turn to things that make us feel better. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's only if you notice that like now your kids are getting a little older and you're still in that bad habit. And yes, I needed what I needed was understanding. That was became like my drug. Other moms not drinking with me, people to talk to, people to hang out with. I needed something, you know, like a salve for the for the loneliness and isolation that I still felt. And I needed more help. I needed my husband to pitch in more. I needed, you know, I started going to recovery meetings and I definitely got a lot out of that. Mostly company mm-hmm. and the feeling I wasn't alone. And I binged on a lot of sugar that first year. I get that. <laughs> I had this one moment, which I'm like sort of ashamed to even say out loud. I'm not even sure I've told the story. Well, maybe I have. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But we were living in like a temporary apartment as we moved from one place to the other and everything was just totally disorienting. Like I didn't even, I barely knew where we were living and I didn't have my stuff and all this. Anyway, I would push this, the devil stroller down the street in New York and it would be Shabbat or something. I'm like, Oh, I've got to get more wine. Like it's, it's okay. I can go and get more wine. It's Shabbat. So I would like try to squeeze this devil stroller into the wine store and down the two steps that they had there. And I remember my kids at one point, they were like 
four, three or four, mommy, like, I don't want to go to the wine store again. <laughs> and I was like, this no. is so embarrassing. <laughs> anyway. Mommy, why do you buy so many bottles of wine? I know. I was like, oh, you know, outed as the people in the store, like, you know, looking at me. Like, it's all good. It's Shabbat. But, you know, I'm buying five bottles. But anyway. Um, right. You know, right. Did you find yourself having to come up with a little <laughs> excuse in your head? Like, oh, that last time was just for a party we were having. Yeah. Always, always something. <laughs> but what you went through was farther in the past that you sort of drudged up, not drudged up, that sounds negative, but like, you know, started writing about mm-hmm. now for this book. Why go into this now? And what did it feel like to look back on a time? I mean, it sounds like you have a lot more compassion for yourself than you did when you were going through it. Yeah, I think it was too raw for a few years. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is, the drinking and driving was humiliating. And it was so hard to talk about. You know, for a long time, I only talked about it with people in my meetings, people that I knew would understand. And it just what... I mean, my closest friends knew... My brother and sister-in-law knew, but I, it's just not something that I regularly talked about. And I would go on TV because it seems weird to say that I went on TV, but because I'd written that book, Sippy Cups, it sort of got out that I got sober. And then all of these outlets were wanting like me to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I got interviewed for the New York Times. I was on the cover of the Sunday, Sunday Style section. I was only sober four months. They'd done an interview with me. And... Listen, I looking back, I feel like it's a little bit weird that I did that. So or like knowing what I know now, 14 years later, it's a it's weird that at four months I had anything to say about sobriety. I did know that I didn't have anything to say. So when I first was approached by like Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, all the I was like, no, absolutely not. I don't want to talk about it. But this reporter from the New York Times wanted me to be interviewed. And I'd been... It's like a long story. It's in the book. I'd been outed by a a parenting writer for the New York Times. And I was upset. I was very shocked. I was very upset. I had originally just told my small blog readership, which was only a few hundred people that were reading that blog. And she had basically announced it in her column on the New York... In the New York Times without any heads up. I, I had no idea. She didn't ask me for a comment. She just talked about me. And a lot of people apparently read the New York Times. Who knew? (laughs) That's when all these publications started reaching out to me and asking me to be on TV. And I was like, no, absolutely not. So eventually when I was in the New York Times after by this woman who interviewed me, I started getting people reaching out to me like on Facebook or whatever, kind of asking me for help. And I was like, wow, okay, maybe I'm in a sort of a unique position to tell the truth about what's going on with me. So I agreed to do a couple of shows. I did not ever mention that I drove drunk. That was not part of the story at the time. I had a lot of rationalization for that. Number one, I was embarrassed and I didn't want to... I was like, I'm already being judged. Like already, without even knowing that piece of it, some of the comments I was getting were like, you shouldn't be a mom. You shouldn't be allowed to have kids. You should have your kids taken away from you. CPS should read this and come and get your kids. I mean, just knowing that I'd admitted to drinking too much. I was like, what is going to happen 
right? The feds are going to show up at my door if I say that I drove drunk. Like I was scared. But also I just thought the way I rationalized it too was like, yeah, it's the truth. But if I say that, it's going to make a lot of women not relate to my story. It's going to give women a reason to go, well, I would never do that. Therefore, I don't have to look at my drinking. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, they don't need to know that, right? I'll keep that part to myself. Well, and and that went on for a lot, for years, and I did many t- many TV shows and did not tell the full truth about my situation. It was when I was on Katie Couric four years later, and now I'm going to have this mom show. I had a TV show for a while called Parental Discretion with Stephanie Wilder Taylor. It was a comedic mom show. It was fun. It was like a talk show for moms. And I was asked to do Katie Couric, not as a big expose on my drinking, but to talk about the mommy wine culture. And my plan was to come on the show and say, I still don't think that moms need to be judged for drinking wine. I don't think that this needs to... We don't have to come down on... That was that was my position. Mm-hmm. Well, Katie Couric's producer had discovered a place where I talked about drinking and driving. It was something that I had no idea was out there. It was something that was on YouTube. Anyway, um, they asked me if they could ask me about it. I said, no. I said, I won't even come do the show if you're going to ask me about it. They were like, okay, no problem. We won't. And then Katie Cork asked me about it. And I, we were taping the segment. So the cat was out of the bag, as they say. I don't know why that's a saying, but it is. And um, I just rolled with it. And once I told that piece of it, I expected the sky to fall and nothing happened. Like nobody was like, what? You did what? Same thing happened after that show that always happened, which is women were like, oh my gosh, I think I have a problem too. Like, what do I do? And that's when I realized my story is going is going to help people and the whole story. And I, that's, you know... I didn't make a decision. It was another 10 years before I wrote this book. But I just decided that like, why not? I felt that sippy cups are not for Chardonnay helped moms because I didn't know that you're not supposed to tell the whole truth about how we feel as new moms. I wasn't, (laughs) nobody told me you're not supposed to talk about that breastfeeding sucks and it's awful and it hurts for some people, not all, not all moms. For me, it was terrible experience. Not everybody talks about, I didn't love my baby at first sight. I was sort of breaking down these myths of like, you need to have uh, this certain kind of stroller. You're a bad mom if you don't do this. You need to have a parenting philosophy. All these things that were big at the time, my daughter's 19 now, so this was a while ago. But I didn't know that you're not supposed to say, it's taboo to like go, I I didn't love my baby at first sight. I hated being pregnant. I was on the fence about being a mom in general. I love it. Of course, I love it now. But saying all those things, there was backlash. If you look at the Amazon reviews for that book, there are people that absolutely love it. Thank you for saying everything you said. You made me laugh. And there are people that like, you should never have had kids. I mean, there are haters all the time. I mean, there are haters, you know. But the Uh, book was polarizing is my point. Yes. But I felt... Like there weren't a lot of books at that time that were people were willing to tell the truth. And telling the truth for me is kind of like a 
chronic illness. It's just like, I can't, I can't help it. It's never going away. It's just how I communicate. I'm just honest. And I don't know. I don't know what you're not supposed to say unless you tell me you're not supposed to say it, but nobody, my editor, my editor of that book was a a young gay man who just (laughs) thought I was funny and was like, go for it. He had no idea. (laughs) And my agent was a gay man with no kids. So the two of them together were just like, oh my God, mention it all. Well, look, as someone who read it and loved it, thank you. And I felt, this, you know, Drunkish is great. The all, Your whole series, your whole voice, all the things you do, I'm, I'm just a fan. I'm like along for the ride. So Aww. anyway, this has gone totally long, which I don't think I've ever done. Oh. Go like, anyway, but I just like could, literally could just sit here and listen to you forever. So anyway, it's thank like you. Moms Stephanie. don't have time to read and they also don't have time to listen to really long podcasts. <laughs> That's true. So <laughs> congratulations. Thank you for having me. Okay. Thanks for coming on. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.